On the night of the 14th of August 1919, a 15-year-old Fianna Éireann member named Francis Murphy from Glan, near Ennistymon in County Clare, was shot and killed while sitting in his own home. He was one of the youngest victims to be killed during the War of Independence period, and up until very recently he was assumed to have been a victim of the Crown Forces. However, new evidence uncovered by my next guests suggests that this was in fact the fatal result of a local agrarian dispute. My next guests have researched this unusual and complex case. I'm joined on the line by Michael Vaughan, a relative of Francis Murphy, and by historian Dr. Porig Ogo Rourke, who has extensively researched the War of Independence in County Clare. You're both very welcome indeed. Porig, first of all, tell us about the case. Who was Francis Murphy and what happened to him exactly on the 14th of August 1919? So Francis Murphy was from Glan, uh, a small townland uh, just outside of Ennistymon in northwest Clare. He was the son of John Murphy, a member of the Ennistymon Board of Guardians. And the Royal Irish Constabulary described John Murphy as being a decent, law-abiding family man whose family were ardent Sinn Féiners and were very advanced Sinn Féiners. So they would have been a Catholic family at the time of the War of Independence. John Murphy himself would have been, you know, a very respectable person. His family, I suppose, were becoming involved in fairly low-level Republican activity. His daughter, Bridget, was nicknamed the Countess in Ennistymon because she was a very ardent uh, Sinn Féiner. And two of his sons, Francis and Andrew, who were twin brothers, joined the branch of Nafina Aaron, the Irish National Boy Scouts in Ennistymon. Now, that wouldn't have been too unusual. There would have been no Baden-Powell Boy Scouts in the area and Baden-Powell Scouts would have been seen as being, you know, marginally pro-British and the Fianna Aaron Scouts would have been seen as being kind of a junior wing of the IRA or, or pro-Republican. And the family, I suppose, the killing of Francis Murphy, uh, he would have been the youngest fatality of the War of Independence in County Clare. He was 15 years old when he was killed. But the question is, was he killed as a result of that conflict? Uh, To give some background on it, the Murphy family, John Murphy's brother, had married into the family of Michael Nalen, who was uh, Michael Nalen had himself married a woman named Mary McGann. She had inherited a farm at Cahar Blanick, and that was considered a contested farm. Because John Murphy had helped out with harvesting and agricultural work, that brought the family into some controversy because of the the circumstances of the farm and how it was inherited and how it was, you know, came into the Nayland family's hands through marriage. Also, around the same time, you have the shooting of uh, two RIC members in an IRA ambush known as the 81 Cross Ambush. That happened on the 4th of August 1919, so 10 days before Francis Murphy is shot. And the question has always been, was the killing of Francis Murphy a reprisal by the British Crown Forces for the 81 Cross Ambush, or was it related to the agrarian difficulties and feud that the family were involved in. And traditionally, the argument, uh, the popular narrative was always that it was a a British uh, reprisal. Talk to me a little bit also about the inquest, because at the inquest, uh, a very interesting character comes forward, a man called Canole, and he is quite emphatic that this was carried out by the British Army. Yeah, so Patrick Canole, also known as Pete Canole, is uh, a worker on the uh, on the West Clare uh, Railway. And he says that at the time of the shooting that he had, uh, and the shooting, I should say, occurs when Francis Murphy is is alone 
in the uh, by the fireplace in his home. He has a lantern on. He's reading, and a shot or a number of shots come through the window. One of which uh, fatally kills him. And uh, Patrick or Pete Canole says that he happens to be because he's a railway man out early. He's walking through the the by the area, and he meets a number of men who stop him. He says they're dressed in British Army style, you know, grey shirts, and they have British Army khaki caps on them, and that basically they they threaten him to uh, to say nothing. When the county coroner opens the inquest, it actually happens the day after the shooting. So it happens very quickly and you wonder how much time they had to gather evidence. And the key piece of of evidence at the inquest really is that the the bullet which killed Francis Murphy is said to be a a military pattern bullet, i.e. that it comes from the British Army. But of course, you would have had a lot of ex-soldiers coming back from the war, uh, a lot of IRA men buying guns from British soldiers. There was a fairly healthy black market in in arms at the time. And this um, comprised with Patrick Knoll's evidence gives the indication that the British are responsible. However, Several months later, uh, Canole retracts his evidence and says that he has uh, he's actually sentenced to a number of months in Wormwood Scrubs for perjury. And it turns out that Patrick Canole is in dispute with his uh, employer on the, the West Clare Railway and that he has been told by a number of local men that if he gives evidence saying that the British Army were responsible for the shooting and that he met them out, that they would help him, uh, Canole, to murder his employer, solving that dispute as well. So, Michael, Michael Vaughan, what's your family connection to this case? Well, I would be a grandnephew of, of Francie, Francie Murphy, um, and, and Andrew, his, his twin brother, was my godfather. So, my grandmother, it was mentioned there by Porrick, um, Breeze Murphy, she was very, very prominent in coming on, as was her sister May um, at the time. And uh, subsequently, in fact, in our own family, uh, our, our premises in the Hinch was subsequently burnt down by the Black and Tans uh, the following year after the Renine ambush. So, so there, there, was, there was a very healthy Republican activity in, in the family over the years. And in your family, what was the accepted wisdom about the killing of Francis Murphy? Oh, it was, it was always and ever uh, stated that, that Francie was killed uh, from the automatic fire from a submachine gun on an army tender that had, was passing the road. It, it was the habit of, of the army to patrol the, the road and they had, they had a, a well-trodden path up along North Clare, up as far as Ballyvaughan, and they would have passed that house after midnight, maybe between midnight and 1am and a number of nights during the week. So, so it was accepted generally that it, that it must have been that. And of course... Various accounts um, in May, Mary Murphy, um, wife of, of Johnny Murphy, Mary would have said that it could have been nobody else but the army. But it, it was always very contentious because, you see, they were, they were, there was about 2,000 people attended Francie's funeral and Sinn Féin um, produced a commemorative badge uh, in his honour, uh, which was worn widely in, in the area for quite a while. But, but um, that waned, of course, afterwards. But they, and as Porrick said, the inquest was very hastily organised, and uh, and the crown forces weren't weren't given the opportunity really to produce uh, witnesses. There there seemed to be a breakdown in communication, and the officer uh, charged with with representing the, the the crown at the court couldn't give assurances that the military that the military would fully defend their case, uh, which seems very odd. And also the house, I think, was pretty well known locally as a safe house, which means that presumably the Crown Forces would have been aware that it was a safe house. So that makes 
that particular narrative all the more plausible that uh, you know a patrol firing into the house you never know they might get lucky they might kill a few IRA men Yes, and of course, you see, I mean, if you look at it, there, there were a few instances in, in, uh, in County Clare with regard to curfew and, and lights uh, being visible from houses. And there was a warning, and I think there was an arrest made in, in Ina on a house where people had light late at night. Uh, of course, in this instance, Francie was a smoker and uh, he was only 15 years of age and, and he came down to the kitchen for a, a smoke and he was reading by, by the fireside when the attack happened. So that would have been unusual in itself because um, he, he wasn't normally there. But his brother, uh, his brother was out on the town in Lahinch and returned and um, he hadn't noticed anything on the way home. So overall, you know, there was huge support for the Murphy family uh, in, in the locality and they were well known. And I, I would have said that, that it suited popular opinion, certainly, that the, that the narrative be that, that he was shot by the, the British forces because the whole family would have, would have been really of that belief. And when did you yourself begin to doubt that narrative? Well, we, we never had, a, as I was growing up, it was never something that was mentioned. The windows where in the house where, where the bullets entered, the panes of glass remained with those uh, holes in them, although they had put another pane over them. But And when we ever asked as young lads in the house, you know, what was the story at Francie? They said, they would have said, we don't talk about that. Um, my grand-aunt was a bit more forthcoming, but she was quite effusive and said that it was the British that had murdered her. My, my own father never spoke, but um, my brother did have some drinks with my, with my father uh, later on in his years where he mentioned that Francie's brother, Andrew, had been in the county hospital in Ennis uh, recuperating and some people were visiting a patient in the bed next to him and it turned out they were from Corrafin and as they were leaving, they had asked the, the person they were visiting who was in the bed next to him and he said, oh, that's Murphy from Glan. And one of them approached Andrew and uh, is reported to have said to him that uh, we're very sorry for what we've done, that, that it should never have happened. It was, it was wrong. What we did was wrong. So that, that sparked a bit of, a, of an inquiry in, in my mind. And then further on, uh, a researcher in NUI Galway had been in queue in the military archives in, in London and had said to me that there was a very complete file on Francis Murphy there. He hadn't read it. So I made it my business to go to queue and look at the file. And I went over there and what I read certainly upended what I had thought of for many, many years. What did you find in that file? I found a very extensive file. And the researcher in Galway had said to me that, that um, it was unusual to find such a complete file. Uh, really what was there was a, a flurry of, of telegrams between um, the military um, after the effect of the murder. And the, a notice had appeared outlining the outcome of the inquest in the London Times. And that caused consternation with, in, the, in the Phoenix Park. And they immediately dispatched people, various people, to, to go and examine. And a military court, a uh, military inquiry was set up. And it seemed to have exhaustive investigations into the movement of troops, the movement of demobilised troops in, in, in County Clare, a pattern of of the travel of the patrols from Ennis up along, up along the west coast of Clare and where they stopped and witnesses on the night and, and what time they would have stopped, what munition was in the, the armoured carrier and evidence from various ballistic um, authorities within the, within the army. One in particular who was with the Welsh Fusiliers who maintained that much of the ammunition was 
303 rifle ammunition and there was uh, evidence of some small firearms being fired in the house as well, but no evidence whatsoever of, of machine gun fire. And it was estimated that about three different guns were used. And then further investigation uh, showed that there had been raids at various points in County Clare in over in Corrafin and other parts where um, army munitions were stolen and rifles taken. So basically purporting that, that there was a, an abundance of, of munitions in the area. And furthermore, the evidence of Canole was kind of discounted in the sense because my aunt gave, uh, Una gave, a, gave a, a testament that she didn't see any, any uh, headgear on the three people who were stopped by the wall of the house and that they were wearing light-coloured tops with uh, straps on the shoulder and uh, darker trousers. But it was reported in the military files that, um, that Sinn Féin had, had trooped colours on a couple of occasions, one at Carrigaholt when Countess Markovich came to Carrigaholt, and they wore garb of a similar nature. So that was unusual. And, and indeed, a postman who has since died um, from the area... PJ O'Loughlin had said to me that Canole, when he was leaving the house to be examined and, and uh, cross-examined by, by the military, uh, was told in the, in the vernacular, So basically there was, in my mind, a question there. Mm. And then when I saw, you know, that, and it wasn't mentioned in the family that, that Johnny's brother had been married into Carr um, Blanick. And apparently there had been uh, scenes down there where uh, a rifle had been discharged on the farm and uh, Naden himself had been assaulted but refused to make anything of the assault. So in subsequent reports, uh, Naden, he made a claim on the British Army for non-payment of, of, uh, for goods supplied uh, over that time. Uh, apparently he supplied vegetables and other produce to the RIC. So quite, quite literally, there were many reasons why he might, he might have been a target. Porrick, give me some of the arguments against this being a reprisal killing, in specifically, I suppose, for two RIC men who had been murdered by the IRA 10 days beforehand. Well, I suppose the first thing we should say is just to emphasise, as, as Michael did there, that, you know, guns were being used as part of this this feud over the farm in Caterblanic involving the Nalen and by association, the Murphy families. And this had been going on since 1913, so well before the War of Independence formally begins. Shots are being fired into houses. On one occasion, a, a neighbour who helps out the, the family that are being boycotted, his horse is taken and is shot. And then threatening letters are sent around saying, if you don't stop helping the Nalen family with their harvest, we will. you'll end up the same way as Davlin Horse. Uh, Michael Nalen himself has to get an RIC escort to take him to Mass every Sunday. And on one stage, the RIC escort and Nalen are attacked with gunfire. And there's no indication that this is a formal IRA ambush. It is an attempt to assassinate Michael Nalen. And there's even, even after Francis Murphy is shot, I think he would be a distant cousin of of of, of Francie Murphy. Uh, Patrick Curtin is going to Enstimon one day, and he's pulled off his uh, horse and trap. He's effectively what we would say today: he's kneecapped, he's shot in both legs, and his horse is shot dead. So the agrarian feud is very violent. Now, as to this being a reprisal for um, two RIC men being shot at eighty-one Cross, uh, that happens ten days earlier. 
the British Crown Forces, um, first of all, in, in the summer of 1919, are not carrying out a lot of reprisal killings. And when they do start doing them in Clare, I know people say revenge is a, a dish best served cold, but the British aren't in the habit of waiting for 10 days. Also, the allegation is that the British Army carried out the shooting. Now, the British Army soldiers who would have been stationed in Ennistymon would all have been from Scottish regiments. They would not have known and would probably have cared even less about Irishmen in the Royal Irish Constabulary uh, stationed locally. Remember, there's no black and tans or anything at this time. And the thing that has always um, stuck out to me is the lack of public commemoration of this. In the autumn of 1919, uh, you get these press reports in the Clare Champion and in the Saturday Record that money is being collected for a memorial to be put up to commemorate this Republican martyr, Francis Murphy. That memorial is never built, never appears. Where that money went, I don't know. There are no songs about him. Think everyone listening to this of your, your local area and if there's some Republican killed in 1916 or War of Independence, the GA Club is probably named after them. The local Sinn Féin Club will be named after them or the, the local Fianna Fáil coming. None of this happens. And even in 1924, Constance Markovich brings out a new a new edition of the Fianna Aaron Handbook. And this lists all of the Fianna Aaron martyrs who have died for the Republican cause. And Francis Murphy is not listed in that. And even coming up to the, the centenary, the 100th anniversary in 2019, I understand there was a small private ceremony organised by members of the, the wider family. But there was no move to put up a memorial acknowledging him as a Republican martyr. And when I first began uh, researching my book, Blood and the Banner, about the history of the War of Independence Clare back in the early 2000s, and I was asking people about this case and I was suggesting, God, why isn't there a plaque to this young fellow? He was only 15. He was killed by the British. And people kept saying to me, no, 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 it's more complicated than that. There was some local stuff going on as well. To me, it just doesn't compare to other British reprisal killings in Clare during the War of Independence. And I find myself in the very unusual position for me of having to defend members of the British Crown Forces and say, look, I genuinely don't think as a historian that they were involved in this murder. Were you surprised? Are you surprised at the level of the British Army investigation into this case as evidenced by the file in queue? Now, you know, OK, this is the middle of 1919. So the, the shooting war hasn't really uh, hasn't really, really got going at this stage. But even so, the file that Michael is describing seems to be very, very extensive. Yeah, it's really surprising because if you go on to September of um, 1920, so just about a year after Francis Murphy is shot, you have, I think, six people killed as a reprisal for an IRA ambush on an RIC motor patrol at Rinne. And it's very scant details in that. They would just get a British officer to go in and go, we don't know who these strange men with British accents were who appeared in the area and murdered all these local civilians and Republican sympathisers. And their word was just taken for it. And that was that. And it's striking. Um, the, the Francis Murphy inquiry by the British is striking in that the efforts they went to, to prove it wasn't them. The British, you know, their word was going to be taken in, you know, British run courts of law. They did not need to go to that extent in 1919, but they did. And to me, it seems to have been a genuine investigation to find out if any of their their troops had gone rogue. And again, at that stage in 1919, you're not getting mass shootings. You're not getting 
the kind of massacres we see later at Canada Cross in Milltown Malbay, or you're not getting kind of assassinations in people's homes. This really stands out as an unusual event. Michael, how has your own personal research gone down in family circles, the Vaughan family circles, the Murphy family circles? Yeah, well, I, I have to say that, that um, I'm a bit of a pariah when it comes to uh, matters of, of family history now like that. But, um, you know, I mean, the people who have considered the evidence I've given to them uh, have, have, have taken it uh, on the value that they've received it. But, but there are, there are quite, a, and I'll be quite honest, there are quite an amount of, of my family and on the Murphys and on the Garvey side who, who would dispute this. Uh, one one uh, anecdote that I, I gleaned from my, my, well, my brother gleaned from my father before he died was that there was a particular um, public house in Ernest Diamond where Andrew Murphy would never go to drink and um, he would not drink there because he said the people who came to murder Francie drank there before they arrived and he felt always that the, that the proprietors of the pub should have warned the family in advance that this was on the way. So, you know, it's a very nuanced part of history. You can understand, always understand, why public belief was that he was murdered by, by the British. But, you know... Um, when you see and you know how, how deep agrarian disputes run, you can I certainly can understand why this was, was portrayed in the manner it was. But the British Army seems to have in the background... Like One of the interesting things was that they didn't actually publish their court of inquiry uh, in detail. In fact, they didn't. They were advised not to go ahead with a public inquiry. And, and as a matter of history, the inquest that was held for Francie uh, Murphy was one of the last inquests that were held because thereafter they became military tribunals because uh, the British were absolutely um, blindsided by the brevity of, of the inquest and the conclusion that it came to. Porik, you've looked at a couple of other killings that come up nationally that may also have been agrarian disputes but were blamed on the on the Crown forces. Tell us a little bit about those. Um, well, it, it's even, it's, sometimes they're blamed on the Crown forces, but even more often they can be blamed on the IRA. For example, um, I did my PhD thesis on the, the truce and the last killings in the last two or three days of the War of Independence. And you had two brothers, um, Thomas and Michael Waldron, at Loch Glynn in Roscommon. And on the 8th of July 1921, so the evening that the, the ceasefire has been announced but won't take effect for another two or three days, they're taken out of their home and they're both shot dead in their in their cabbage patch. And it's all it, when I started researching again, it seemed to me that okay, it was put to me that this was the IRA shooting of of two guys who were alleged to be spies and that the IRA are settling scores. But when I looked into it, it turned out that they had been shot with a shotgun. Now the IRA, of course, did use shotguns, but all local farmers would have had them as well. And there was no mention of them being spies anywhere in the the veteran testimony of, of IRA veterans or there was no mention of spies being executed at the time in IRA reports. And then the more I looked into it, it seemed to be that, yes, this was an agrarian killing. And even there was a case in Kerry I came across um, in, in Marie Coleman's research where a woman in Kerry had been uh, shot dead and her body was found near her home uh, the following morning. And there was the, the typical placard on it saying, spy executed by the IRA, except it added three letters at the bottom, R-I-P. 
Now, the IRA, if they executed someone as a spy, would not be inclined to write rest in peace on the bottom of the, the spy label. So that immediately got my, my antennae up. And when I started researching it again, it turned out that this was a murder as a result of a feud in the family. And a very convenient way of deflecting attention was to put a spy label on the, the body. And this even happens in later cases, there's a case in, in the Midlands, I think it's in Offaly, during the Civil War, when a guy is found shot dead on a, on a roadside and on the back of literally a cigarette packet is written, spy shot by IRA. And it's six years later, one of his neighbours walks into a Garda station and says, that wasn't the IRA, that was me, I murdered him. We had been playing cards, we'd been drinking, he owed me money, we got into an argument, I shot him. And then I panicked, so I just wrote IRA in the back of my cigarette packet and I got away with it until now, but my conscience is at me. So it's very difficult sometimes in the War of Independence. You have two police forces, effectively, neither of which are in complete control. You have the old Royal Irish Constabulary in, in rural Ireland, but you also have the new Irish Republican Police, which is a branch of the IRA. Neither is in complete control. And of course, you're going to have criminal elements who are going to commit theft and commit burglaries to make money out uh, out of the, the breakdown of law and order. But also, of course, you will have people who are involved in families that have very long running agrarian feuds and they go, there's a power vacuum here. Now is our chance to get that farm or to drive this family out. And it can be very confusing sometimes. And the local context is always very important. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us and for reassessing the killing on the 14th of August 1919 of 15-year-old Francis Murphy. My guests are Dr. Porik Og O'Rourke and a relative of Francis Murphy, Michael Vaughan. Thank you both very much for joining us on The History Show this evening. Thank you, Miles. Margot.